The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. And a happy Monday, March 4th to you folks. I cannot believe we're already into March. Can you believe it? Well, it happened last Friday. Now it's Monday. Thank you folks for joining us here at the Multimedia Café, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, we've got a fantastic program in store for you. But first, I just want to tell you a little bit about the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about because that's a cafe. You never know who you're going to run into, what you're going to talk about, who's bellied up to the bar, who's sitting over at the booth, maybe who's at the table. And a variety of topics are talked about in the cafe, but generally... They have some substance behind it. Generally, people, when they talk at the cafe, yeah, sometimes they talk to be heard. That's normal. In fact, people do that all the time. Watch the news. Man, those guys talk just to be heard all day long. But generally, at a cafe, some of your best information comes from there. You want to talk to a newspaper reporter? They'll tell you to go to the small town cafe. You want to talk to somebody in radio news? They'll tell you to go to the small town cafe. You want to talk to somebody in the new age of media, well, good luck because they just sit behind their computer and blog and react to things that are happening from people at the cafe. So welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. We embrace different forms of technology here. We like to say we interview people over the phone, over Skype, over Facebook, perhaps even face-to-face. Imagine that, folks. We still have face-to-face interviews here. Wow, just like actually sitting at a cafe. Some people, they eat over Skype. You know, they're 4,000 miles away, and they have dinner together. Different concept. I prefer the face-to-face, but we still embrace the other technologies because, you know what, there's a lot of ways to stay communicated with people and connected with people. And uh, you know what, we like to remind you about that. That is one thing, because the world needs more smiles. The world needs more conversation. And we here at the Multimedia Cafe are trying to bring that to you. And what a conversation we have today. It's a little bit uh, dicey, as they say, because it's a, it's one of those things where when we're talking about the environment and we're talking about oil and gas and we're talking about energy development, that is a touchy subject. And uh, Terry Edom is our guest. He's an energy writer for the BOE Report. He has a book out called The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. What he means by that is, is we've gotten to a point where, and this is my word, the religion of environmentalism. I believe that, and he agrees with me, I I believe that over the last decade, a new religion has been created. When I say religion, I truly mean religion. By its Webster's definition, before you start thinking of all the religions that you're a part of, think of the Webster's definition and the rituals and the, the, just the blind faith, if you will, that religion has, uh, that's what environmental is. And environmentalism has become, for a lot of people, it's become very extreme. And because of that, there's, there's a conversation that's not being had. And that conversation is that we need to take a look at some practical solutions for flaring, for 
plastics, that sort of thing. The whole idea and the argument of getting rid of fossil fuels is is really not a very intelligent thought, actually. Uh, maybe in 100 years, sure, something along those lines. But when you take a look at your house, and I'm not even talking about the light switch that turns on the energy or the power charger that charges your cell phone, or maybe you're one of those environmentalists who likes to serve Keurigs. I mean, you want to talk about practicing what you preach. That's hilarious. I've actually been to meetings with environmental folk who want to come on the program and talk about environmental issues, which we will. We'll gladly have anybody on. But when they serve me a Keurig, I can't do it. I just cannot do it. Now, if they were not trying to be the champion of the planet and environmental causes and and everything, that'd be a different story. No problem there. But when you're the one trying to say, I have all the answers to solve all the issues out in the, the world and we got to get rid of oil and gas. And, oh, by the way, here's my Keurig because it's easy and convenient for me. That is just one example, a very minor example. We get into electric cars. As Terry Edom points out, the iPhone has 78 elements from the periodic table in it. Now, guess what? A lot of that is mined. And when you want to talk about environmentalism, so many of the people who are environmentalists have cell phones and they drive electric cars. Where do you think the electricity comes from? Most of it from coal. So they don't make any sense. They don't make any sense. They, they just want their immediate area to look good all the time and people to do what they say. But in the big picture, they can't even embrace it. Now, if Ed Bagley Jr. wants to come on the program all day long, he lives it, he embraces it, and he actually is able to have an intelligent conversation. He understands you cannot get rid of fossil fuels overnight. But, you know, if we look at some small things, Terry Edom and I, for example, in this interview we're about to play, we talk about a basic thing like soda pop bottles or maybe those six-pack plastic rings plastic bags at the grocery store start with that let's have a conversation about that because i know the oil and gas industry would be all about it and as i as we mentioned in the interview maybe plastics needs to just go to a hard plastic and glass needs to have a return glass and you know some hemp and synthetic fibers and cotton and, and a variety of different things well, here i said synthetic which is petroleum but uh but you understand what I mean. We need to get replace some of those basic plastic things, like the milk bottle, okay, the, the soda pop, that sort of thing, the six-pack rings, the plastic bags. That would have a significant impact on society. The social engineering, the economic jobs, and the economy tied to just plastic bags, six-pack rings, and soda pop bottles is incredible. Just that slice right there. If we could do something like that or even have a conversation like that, now we're talking. But this extreme mentality of just get rid of it, that's, that's got to that's gotta end, folks. And we, we don't talk about that. In fact, during the interview, I said sometimes talking to those people, it's easier just to go talk to a walnut tree. You get better response. They sway, at least they sway with the wind. You're predictable. Okay, so 
Let me talk a great interview. Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report. Also, his book, The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. So let's get into that interview here in just a moment. A few other things we talk about. Wind, coal, solar, examples of the uh, different footprints, like I mentioned, the cell phone, with the 78 different periodic table elements, and uh, natural gas storage issues that we're here again, so we need some more pipelines, etc. And actually, now is the time for the energy industry to embrace PR. They've had a very difficult time in the past embracing public relations. And I get it. They're damned if they're doing. They're damned if they don't. They're the 5,000-foot gorilla. They're one of the kings of the economy. So no matter what they do, they're going to get arrows slung at them. But right now, take the Davis Refinery in Belfield, North Dakota, and they just announced another one down in Texas. These are some incredible advancements when it comes to energy innovation and clean energy. So now is the time for the energy industry to embrace public relations and educate the public. Because otherwise, the environmentalists are going to educate the public with a bunch of sensational misinformation. But the media today loves it. They love it. They absolutely love anything that is got 1% truth, 99% sensationalism. They do. They love it. Absolutely. Look at the headlines. Look at the headlines. And pick up a dictionary and read the re- read the dictionary and you'll you'll see that it's absolutely embarrassing. It's embarrassing that we've allowed our language to become so ridiculous in this country. But oh well. All right, soapbox. I got to get It's Monday. It's Monday. What am I doing? All right. Let's take a quick break. We come back. Terry Edom, the energy writer for BOE Report. And also, he's the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, a book available at Amazon.com. All right. We take a quick break. We'll come back. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Well, the circuit holds the power of the hour, and the light switch turns your tongue sour. Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. Meridian Energy Group, Inc. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we talk with Terry Edom. He's a writer with the BOE Report, an energy writer with the BOE Report, and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. This is Terry Edom, energy writer with the BOE Report. Outstanding. Thank you for joining us here today. In addition to the BOE report, your writing resume has gotten a little bit bigger. And before we get into uh, some of the topics on hand, let's start off by your the end of fossil fuel insanity, clearing the air before cleaning the air. It's a book written by 
Terry Edom, our guest here, and talk to me a little bit about the book, the process, where it's available, etc. Oh, sure. Uh, so the book originated, I've been writing an energy column for four or five years now, and uh, the point of the writing I try and do is to try and um, shave the edges off the extremes of the debate. We've, we've just become into such a locked, polarized debate here where um, there's a whole movement to kill the fossil fuel industry. And at the same time, there's a fossil fuel industry that points out, well, you can't survive without fossil fuels. We can't have our standard of living without fossil fuels. And it seems like debates just gotten very polarized and the um, the extremists have taken over the, the stage and the microphone and they've been talking about how easy it is going to be to get off fossil fuels. And, and I think the, the fossil fuel industry, the petroleum industry is what I speak for mostly, um, has kind of taken the, the tack that people will realize that it's, it, it's, uh, it should be obvious how much we rely on fossil fuels, but I think people don't pay that much attention to their energy sources, particularly in urban areas. And so I think it's uh, the, the, the battle's just gotten away from us. So this is just an attempt to explain to people who are perhaps not directly involved in the petroleum industry um, just how reliant we are, just try and make them understand that and how difficult it is going to be to go to different energy systems. I've brought up the phrase, the religion of environmentalism, because I believe that movement has turned into almost a religious type movement to where the the amount of blind faith and the amount of social causes that are really involved um it's it's i don't know just go ahead and take over from there is that is do you agree with that do you disagree with that is that anything your book talks about i I agree with that absolutely that it's become a a good versus evil thing in the minds of a lot of people and and when i say they've taken the stage they're convincing people that it is evil to burn oil or natural gas is evil and and because you're destroying the planet and it's an easy sell because people get scared by those sorts of messages and um and, and it's just such a flawed argument because it's actually what gives us life like and if you look at the the recent cold snap that we've had here like in chicago a couple weeks ago there like what would have happened to that city if those natural gas lines had gone down going into the city there's actually an incident in um uh, rhode island this is just before Christmas, where they declared a state of emergency because the natural gas demand was so high that it depressurized the system and people couldn't get enough supplies. They had to cut off 7,000 customers. That's not just homes, that's, or that's not 7,000 people, that's 7,000 customers. So that could be buildings, it could be all sorts of things. And they had to declare a state of emergency. That, that's how close these some of these communities are to a, a disaster And uh, if, if fossil fuel supplies were cut, never mind transportation or or imagine no air travel or something like that. And, and I think that the, the our industry hasn't been doing a great job of, of, of elaborating on that to people. We think it's obvious to people, but it's not. So so you're right, it's become a religion, and it's become you're evil if you're on one side, and if you're good if you're on the other, even though uh, we're the ones that keep everyone alive. So This is a very interesting conversation because this is the birth of the planet's champion, the champion of the planet. I've, I've, I've toyed with this. Call it, you know, wrestling gimmick, if you will, um, to almost go over the top to elaborate a point of what you just talked about. The industry does not do a good job of this. And I agree. They don't. And um, the one side has painted a picture of fear, like you said, and the when, in fact, the oil and gas industry could paint a reality of fear. Not not a speculative fear because I'll get into that no, in, ju- in just a moment. Absolutely real. But but yeah. the, but the reality is is that 
if fossil fuels went away at say 30% of what they're doing now, that would have an enormous disruption on the planet. It would have an enormous disruption on our way of life. It would have an enormous disruption on from the economy to just basically, uh, you know, like you said, transportation in general. So well, life as we know it would change if you if you took thirty percent away from uh, the, imagine a heating source gone in winter, like I just mentioned, or, or or not being able to transport food, or or not being able to transport things by ship or. Or air travel, anything, any of those that you mentioned, it, it would just have such catastrophic consequences. And, but people take it for granted. You know, and the the thing that I've always thought about, like the, this argument, I, I used to joke that I don't mind putting environmentalists on our program if they want to have an intelligent conversation. I don't mind that at all. Um, we're, you know, we're we have a lot of oil and gas programs as well as our non-oil and gas programs are still anchored. Uh, with oil and gas, because it's that it's that important within our economy. It's that important right. in our lifestyle. It's that important with our life, and we just feel that's important for people to know. So right. we don't mind having the opposition on. At, you know, I, we we had we had Dapple protesters on. They they had a legitimate argument in the beginning, and then it went on by the wayside very quickly, and it turned into like you said, a, a good versus evil thing, and there was no logic anymore in anything. But. Right. Right. Um, when they, you know, are, are serving me a Keurig coffee or, you know, that sort of, like a Keurig is one of the worst things for the environment. I mean, if, 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 if you want to go behind their argument of the single serving plastic, et cetera, et cetera, I, I just laugh at it and I won't have them on the program because they're talking ridiculousness. Anybody who says that we need to eliminate fossil fuels really is not having a very intelligent conversation. They're just not. Now, they're if, just not. no, they're not. They're, they're just not. There's no argument against it. Um, I'm sorry. That's just that's just a very factual statement. Anybody who says that they want to eliminate fossil fuels, that's an extreme, unrealistic thought. Now, let's say if they want to have a discussion on how to maybe go back to glass bottles instead of plastic, or figure something out of, um, you know, those uh, what, what what are those uh, six pack uh, ring holders that you know the, oh, the, right. the fish, yeah. fish are getting stuck in out in the ocean? Yeah. Okay. You know what? That that that's a great that's a great conversation because that you know plastic bags, uh, those ring things in plastic bottles that would have enough of a dent to where enough people would have to shift certain parts of their life, but it wouldn't have this sweeping effect across every part of life that we know it. But I think yeah. the oil and gas industry would even be open to a conversation like that, don't you? I mean, because to me, they I've seen the oil and gas industry really being the only proactive people in this. <laughs> How's that for irony? <laughs> it is, it is. And, and they would absolutely be open to it. And even the a lot of the, the, um, the petroleum people I talked to downtown here, and I talked to a lot of them in, in the heart of Canada's petroleum business here, like a lot of them will even say yeah, there, there is a, a date when we won't rely on fossil fuels as much. We, we agree with them on that. It's just that it's not in 10 years. It's going to be in 40 or 50 years, and it's going to be really, really hard to get there. And We really need to think about it and have a roadmap how to get there rather than just saying, well, we have to stop it now uh, because there's no thought that goes into that. And that's the you're right. I think the, the some of the examples you gave there are, are the place to start. You go for the low hanging fruit. Like why why, do, why aren't we tackling those things first? And I use an example in the book there. I don't I don't know what it's like in your state, but here we have a deposit on on soda cans and and beer cans and stuff. You return them. You get your 
deposit back. Well, why don't we have that on everything? Why don't you have it on a Starbucks cup? And why don't you have it as a $2 deposit? Would you think any of those will get thrown in the garbage if you have to pay a $2 deposit on a cup? Like it's, uh, we, we just need to incentivize people to act in a, a different way so that they stop wasting things. Mr. Terry Edom, I'd like you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we continue the conversation with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, available at Amazon.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you will let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. Terry Edom with us. He's an energy reporter for the BOE Report, energy writer for the BOE Report. And we say writer because he also write, wrote a book called The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity, clearing the air before cleaning the air. And we're kind of using that as our, our thesis, talking about some of the issues actually in oil and gas that are going on, whether it be from a PR standpoint or whether it be from a, 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 the religion of environmentalism or just the whole uh, misinformation that seems to be out there on, on a regular basis. The one that I like to talk to these activists about who want to get rid of fossil fuels tomorrow um, when it comes to like cars, you know, they, they like to talk about electric cars. They like to talk about wind energy. They like to talk about solar energy. And that, that's a frustrating conversation because it's easier to talk to a, to a walnut tree than it is to talk to these people. Because honestly, we're coal and lithium batteries. I mean, when you start thinking about some of the things that they're saying are all the evils of, you know, fracking and mining and all these other things, their solution is a lot of times not better, <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense. No, it, it's it's no. actually worse. Right. And they, 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 they take these things for granted, like you say, that an uh, uh, electric vehicle is uh, 
is better for the environment. But if you pull together the web of components that go into that and the, the infrastructure that's required to find and mine all of those things and bring it to the assembly point, um, if, if, you, if you've ever seen a, the environmental disaster in China from their rare earth processing, which goes into magnets, which goes into uh, electric vehicles, like it's just an a, environmental nightmare and it's and it's uh it's that's all part of the equation but they don't see that they only see the car that gets plugged into the to the wall and and then even the the, the cars that get plugged into the wall like they, they the the extremists say well we, we have to get rid of all our vehicles and go to electric vehicles but they don't even think about that either like and and you can take a a good example is in your house if you plug in three things on the same circuit you blow a breaker right well what happens if, a, if an apartment building plugs in a hundred teslas at once well what breaker gets broken like the the infrastructure that brings electricity to residential areas is was not built for those kind of loads and and to think that you can just convert everyone to those new cars it's just it's just ludicrous nobody's even thought about that well, and I even look at like wind, you know, wind, and I'm not a fan of wind, and I never have been. I like windmills on farms. I think there is a great use for a personal, like smaller scale wind piece that you can maybe put on your house. I've seen some communities, they've got some vertical winds. Chicago's got a lot of them on skyscrapers. In fact, in like India, in some of the foreign countries, uh, on the medians, they'll have uh, like wind turbines that are vertical so that not only do you get the wind, but you get the velocity of the cars going by. So, you know, these are some really innovative Great ideas. Idea. Yeah, that that don't need to be these bigger-than-life turbines that, you know, you have to have 50 jobs for every turbine. You know what? Sometimes those economics don't work. Those numbers no, just no. don't work. And I don't know about what your opinion is on wind, but for me, that is the one energy source that I think is – is probably the worst one out of all of them. I mean, I'm, I'm including coal in there and everything because coal's made some amazing advancements when it comes to uh, clean coal energy, that sort of thing. And I get it, they're, they're, they're still got a ways to go, et cetera. But to me, wind as the replacement for coal is not working out. They need to rely on natural gas. And also, um, it's not replacing one megawatt of coal is replacing one me megawatt of wind, if that makes sense. Right. And, and the, 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 there's the second order um, circumstances that happen when you flood the market with wind power and solar power. And that's been seen in some jurisdictions where um, they subsidize these installations. So they, they uh, pay, pay people to put up turbines and solar farms. They generate huge lots of power. They, they do for a few hours a day at the wrong time of day. And that drives power prices down. And, and we've seen some of the established players don't want to be in the industry anymore like the, the base load coal and natural gas facilities their, their business gets that much harder because they don't make as much money off the power but they have to be there to supply power when they do the renewables don't so that they, they create havoc in the system that these people don't even think about um, the consequence of this there's i think in uh, 2018 in california there was something like over 100 instances where power prices went negative because of the excess being generated by um, wind and solar. And, and so so for these poor power producers that are uh, selling into the grid at the time when that glut is coming on, they're actually losing money for having their plants operating. Well, what kind of an incentive is that? And how does that work in the long run? It just doesn't work. So, You know, I'm thinking, the more I'm thinking about this, I'm going I'm to order a belt and I'm going to start a little, little campaign, the planet's champion. And you know what? The belt's going to be made entirely out of petroleum products. 
And, um, you know, because the more I'm thinking, I mean, honestly, I, I've been thinking that this is this is really backwards when the most proactive environmentalists on the planet, a lot of them truly are oil and gas companies. I, I, I honestly feel I, I feel very confident saying that now. I wondered it for the last five years, but now I feel really confident, especially after seeing the Davis Refinery, Meridian Energy Group, the lengths that they've gone to make sure that um, their their refinery is pumping out some you know some clean uh, energy that sort of thing and now they just uh, did a letter of intent down in Texas so they're going to do a second refinery now and understanding how they have gone about making sure that the emissions and the air quality is there is absolutely amazing I haven't heard anybody in any argument for any environmental wave ever come close to making any sort of solutionable argument or solutionable statement if that makes sense no and and especially if you take in context the fact that now you can look at a place like texas or or north dakota or the bakken or marcellus or wherever and you can look at these areas and say oh yes you do have a, a a big environmental footprint your emissions are high but consider why they're high the the u.s produces 12 million barrels a day of oil which is 12 percent of global energy just think of that for a second 12 percent of global energy now that has to have a, an environmental footprint anything that's 12 percent of the global economy is going to have a massive environmental footprint if you take all of the iphones that they won't live without or their cell phones what's the what's the environmental footprint of a cell phone the cell phone has 78 elements on the periodic table out of 118 they come from every corner of the earth and they're found and they're mined and they're processed and they're transported and then refined and then reassembled the, the footprint of these things is enormous so to single out the energy industry who's who's making all this happen it, it's just too absurd for words really but we have to do it anyways we have to get out there and spread the message so do you say the cell the cell phone has got 78 different elements from the periodic table yeah isn't that astonishing that is absolutely not i've you know i've heard of the lithium in terms of being the lithium mining is one of the worst minings for the planet in terms of rankings and things like that. It's up there with the old days of the old gold and ore, you know, where they just leave the open yeah. pits. So well, I, you know, well, I, I, I understand that argument, and I've heard that a lot of the um, conductor wires are made from either gold, silver. A lot of them are out of silver because the amount of energy that's being conducted in such a small processor needs to be a good energy conductor, and that's why gold and silver and platinum have have had uh, value over time because and copper to some extent too because they're good conductors of, of electricity and they're malleable and so my understanding is there was a lot of silver in that but i boy 78 that is a lot of different elements i, I was shocked when i was researching that for the book um, and I, I was like in disbelief too but if you if you uh, go through and look at the rare earth elements and the um, yeah a lot of rare components that go into it just trace elements but they're all necessary i assume they're necessary that's why they're in there yeah um, wow. it's shocking and, and where it all comes from and if anyone was to i'd like to see someone sit down and piece together the environmental footprint of a single cell phone and, and that would be just astonishing i think that would be amazing actually and i'm surprised somebody hasn't done that yet well, yeah, well, you know a lot of people aren't interested in even talking about that. It's the same thing as um, uh, all of the, the United Nations and the International Panel on Climate Change or whatever. Um, they're, they're, they fill our ears relentlessly about the evils of fossil fuels. But have a look at where all of their conferences are held. 
they're held in Mexico, they're held in um, Australia, they're held in Peru, they're held in Poland. They, they, they fly every exotic location you can think of. The middle of the Pacific Ocean in Mauritius, some little island I hadn't even heard of, they go to some tropical resort there to have a climate change conference. And it's like, are you, are you people trying to mock us? That's what it seems like to me. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. Meridian Energy Group, Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, continue the conversation with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and also the author of the book, The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. Mock us? That's what it seems like to me because they show no regard for limiting consumption, but they're, they're more than willing to attack the people that put the fuel in the planes that keep them in the air, which to a lot of us just does, is, it's just nonsensical, but that's what they do. So, Terry Edom with us, uh, energy writer for the BOE Report. He has a book out, The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity, Clearing the Air Before Cleaning the Air. It's available at Amazon.com as well as, uh, well, Amazon Kindle, which is Amazon.com. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, um, so yeah, just head there to buy it. And what else do we got come up? Oh, the reason why we have you on is we want to kind of do a little follow-up of an interview we did several months ago about the potential for natural gas shortages uh, to kind of illustrate the fact that we have all this natural gas and this abundance of natural gas, but until we can find a technology to make it economical to store it, it's being wasted uh, to the tune to where we actually have cities like Chicago. And you referenced earlier Rhode Island actually went to a state of emergency because of it. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that, about the uh, the story that you wrote before our prediction or your prediction and our conversation and then kind of where we're at with, um, you know, the Rhode Island and anybody else seeing any potential. Because in, in North Dakota, they've gone like 51, 52 days below zero or below freezing, you know. And so we're getting to where we're, now we're starting to get into the cold season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we're on the way out. But uh so when I wrote that article, I was heading into fall, and we were uh, the U.S. was heading into a, uh, the lowest storage levels in, in decades, and uh, winter was coming, and the, the the low storage didn't seem to phase anyone because their the attitude was that well, there's all sorts of wells that can be turned on at a moment's notice, and so we don't need a lot of storage, and U.S. gas storage. Uh, capacity hasn't really grown that much it's grown some but not a lot nowhere near what consumption has grown so the, the article i wrote was like I, I hope people wake up and pay attention to their possible risk here uh, if you did have a cold winter from say 
I don't know, beginning of December right through, that if you depleted supplies, what would happen? And I'm sure some people, especially now, we made it through winter and it wasn't cold for a long time, so we're okay on the storage side. But some people might look at it and go, well, see, the system works, or that was just fear-mongering or whatever. But the the, the point still holds, and, and the fact that the winter was warmer, it's been colder, like you said, for now, but uh, before, in the earlier part of the year, um, when demand could be really high, we made it through okay. Um, but the danger hasn't gone away, and then these, these smaller events like you mentioned here just point out again the the uh, how close we are to like real trouble um and in chicago when they had that extreme cold snap uh, a few weeks ago there where it got so cold it was only for a few days uh, there was a compressor fire uh, somewhere outside of chicago and it limited the flow and um, as an emergency measure they shut down i think 13 auto manufacturing plants somewhere because they were just such bi- they could shut them down and they were such big draws of natural gas um but that, that's how close we are to trouble. And if, and if you think of an apartment building, even where you live there, with, that had its natural gas shut off for a day um, in conditions like this, like w- what would happen to the population? And what would happen to the building with all the pipes freezing and breaking? What would it look like when you turned the natural gas back on? And if you think of like one building, that's horrible, but a whole city would be like that. And, and where would people go for shelter? And what about hospitals? And it, it's, uh, we're, we're we're, we're, we, we hang by a thread that we don't re- realize it. I mean, well, a few threads, but these are natural gas pipelines, and, and people just can't get that. In um, Vancouver, or in British Columbia, there was a natural gas pipeline that blew up in the northern part of the province, a long ways from Vancouver, hundreds of miles. And, uh, and it was down for five days, and they brought it back up at part capacity. And Vancouver was warned when that pipeline was down, this is, and this is in October, and it doesn't get very cold there. It's like Seattle. They hardly have a winter. Um, people in uh, colleges and uh, bigger institutions were warned to uh, wear mitts and, and coats to classes because there was no heat in the buildings. And that was just for a few days in October. And if that happened in January, like, it, it, I don't know, a lot of lives are at stake here, and people just don't get that. And uh, we're, we're, there is a lot of gas out there. You're absolutely right. But we, we've been so uh, accustomed to it always being there that um, we, we have to think about what happens if it's not. Well, and that's what I was wondering is, is what, what are the biggest issues? Is it the pipeline? Is it the storage? Is it uh, um, a combination of things? Um, you know, I mean, because we know that they're, they're, there's so much natural gas that they're flaring most of it. It's being flared, yep, and, and and a lot of the problem, I think, is the, the difficulty in building pipelines, which in, in Canada, it's extreme here. We can't get anything built, but I know you have issues down there, too, and like New York State has blocked uh, pipelines, and that's one of the reasons Rhode Island had the emergency is because pipelines can't be built to get them more natural gas, and everywhere you turn, it's harder to build this kind of energy infrastructure, so it can't get from the places where it's in excess to where it needs to be, so... Uh, but part of it has been the, just the success of these fields themselves, where, where we, everyone is now convinced that we have we can get the gas out of the ground as quickly as we need it, which is um, may or may not be true. There's a lot of booming wells, but uh, nothing lasts forever like that. So we, we just have to, I, I think that as we get more and more, um, I wouldn't say addicted, but uh, we, we as natural gas is used in more and more places, and more of it's exported offshore as well as these new terminals coming on the demand just keeps growing up and then that just puts the risk that much higher if there ever ever is a, a big disruption what are you working on over at the uh, boe report these days just more of the same in canada here we're i don't know if you're familiar with 
our situation down there very much. But we're it's like the country is run by Greenpeace here. We we have we're blockaded pretty much from building any infrastructure. We can't get pipelines built to either coast. There's too much oil backing up in our province and natural gas. And um, there's pipelines like the Keystone XL, which was um, being built to to haul oil from Alberta down to the Gulf Coast. That's been halted by there's a Montana judge actually that's holding that up right now. And and anything that um, the environmental activists are so strong here and so good at what they do that they 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 put a, a block on pretty much anything that gets built that's of any significance. So so it's 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 very um, uh, the the mood is pretty downbeat here. That's for sure, just because it's uh, it's hard to get anything built. Hmm. So a lot of a lot of uh, importing for Canada then. <laughs> well, and it comes and goes. That the the U.S. and Canada are like a totally integrated um, right uh, oil and gas business. So there's natural gas that comes from the United States into Canada over in the eastern part of the continent, and on the western side here it tends to go the other direction. There's the same. There's oil that comes into Canada over there and it goes south here. So mm-hmm. it's uh, we have a lot more in common with the the Midwest U.S. and the and the Western U.S. out here in the West than we do with Eastern Canada quite a uh, distance from us. And that was Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. Now, we do have some more of this interview. We're going to air tomorrow, actually, here on the Multimedia Cafe. So tomorrow, part two of this Terry Edom, energy writer, BOE Report, and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity right here on the Multimedia Cafe. All right, my name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. It's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report, and he's the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. That book is available right now at Amazon.com. I invite you folks to pick up an e-copy or a hard copy, whatever you'd like. Support Mr. Terry Edom. He does a fantastic job. Uh, a very, very good friend of the show. And we love having him on. Uh, We're going to have him on. He's a regular here at the Multimedia Cafe, quite honestly. Uh, Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. And he's from Canada, so it's an international international segment here on the Multimedia Cafe. All right, that's going to do it for today, folks. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow at the same time on this very radio station. And for those of you who are joining us online via the streaming or maybe via the podcast because, you know, these radio shows are podcasts on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Appreciate it very much because there's a lot of places to get your content in today's world. And we appreciate you coming right here to get your content at the Multimedia Cafe. All of our interviews are exclusive. Of course, if you go to thecrudelife.com, that is the network's website, thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. So at thecrudelife.com, you can access all of our interviews, past shows, even other programs that we have, like The Crude Life as well. And also, we have a social media network that we'd love for you to take part of. 350,000 followers we have with our social media right now, with our YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitters, you name it. Our tweeters page. Man, our tweeters page is off the hook. Or as my son would say two years ago, it's lit. See, sometimes it takes a couple years for me to get the slang down. Well, you know, whatever. I'm just a younger version of Bruno Mars here. That's going to do it, folks. Appreciate it from the staff. At the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spees asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Savior, he can-
can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. Heroes and conquer the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light in.